Hello, world. It's Mike Traverso with the Friends That Code podcast, where I get a chance to showcase some amazing people I know that just happen to write code for a living. Folks, today I have the pleasure of speaking with an Android developer that I first came across at a conference in 2020. Yes, folks, a conference in 2020. It was the 360 and Dev 2020 conference. It took place online, and Nate was giving a talk titled Taking Full Advantage of Kotlin for Android Development. And I was super stoked for this. I knew leading up to the conference, this was one of the talks I definitely wanted to make sure I was available for and, and to check out. Uh, so again, super stoked for it. Uh, and Nate amazed me because as he's speaking, he's also active in the conference Slack. Uh, and this naturally just blew my mind. I was ba I'm barely able to focus on you know my talks, let alone communicating with other folks listening to the talk at the same time. And then I realized something. He was smart enough to record his talk, hit play, and be able to interact with everybody there in the conference Slack. Uh, and it just blew my mind. I still haven't figured out how to do this effectively for my own talks, and I still just end up giving variations of the same talk uh, over and over over Zoom. Uh, but today's guest is a popular YouTuber with a fantastic channel if you're interested in development, especially mobile development. It's called Goobar. It's not just videos on Kotlin, Android, Git command line, Flutter, and more. It's also videos on life tips, career advice, and he even live streams Q&A sessions. He also simulcasts his brand new podcast, aptly titled Goobar, on his YouTube channel. The new podcast is all about software development, and it's dedicated to building great software and helping others do the same. I highly suggest everyone check the show out. I've listened to a few of the episodes, and they're great. Today's guest has an amazing voice for podcasting. The episodes are short, easy to digest, and you do feel like you're just hanging out with him over a cup of coffee. Today's guest is an expert on Android and Kotlin, certifiably so. He is a Google developer expert for both Android and Kotlin, and he uses that expertise to teach others the ins and outs of Android development. He's been an instructor with Big Nerd Ranch, Udacity, Pluralsight, the University of Idaho, and most recently at North Seattle College. And that last one, you can actually find all of the content for that course on his YouTube channel. Yeah, the entire course, folks. Uh, he takes that expertise and shares it on the internet, in the classroom and at various conferences through speaking engagements. And yeah, since he's not really all that busy with anything, he's an author too. In October 2019, he published Mastering Kotlin, great book, uh, which is available at, in your favorite bookstore or on Amazon. Developer, instructor, teacher, author, conference speaker, Google developer expert, YouTuber, podcaster, and man with a voice totally suited for crime-solving serial podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest is Nate Ebel. Nate, thanks for hanging out today. How are you doing? I am, I am doing really well, especially after that, that terrific intro. I, that, was, that was great. Thank My you pleasure. so much. <laughs> My pleasure, Nate. Thanks for being here. Um, Nate, I want to get into talking about your YouTube channel and the podcast, but first I wanted to talk to you about your experience uh, with teaching. And you mm -hmm. have prolific experience teaching. Uh, what drives you uh, to have such a passion for teaching? Like, were you inspired by a teacher while you were in school? Do you, do you just know that you have a great voice and people want to listen? <laughs> Where does that passion come from? Uh, no, it's, it's definitely not the voice. I, 
I, I honestly, I, I can't say I ever particularly thought I had a good voice, but I, I uh, have heard a couple positive comments from from the podcast. So maybe it's a it's a matter of you know nice audio editing or something there. But <laughs> um, no, for for teaching, I I have had a, a passion for teaching for quite a long time. It goes back, I think, back to honestly when I was. 12, I think. I think that was okay. the first time I taught anything. Uh, I taught uh, karate classes to, you know, five and six-year-olds at the time. Um, Very cool. Because I, I had karate for a long time. I had a black belt. And anyways, I, I got to, to, you know, teach the, the little kids. And I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. And that then quickly um, escalated, I would say. I had the the great uh, fortune to work with a uh, an educator when I was in seventh grade who went way above and beyond sort of the call of I'll say like no, traditional education you know this was this was sort of an extra class in sort of problem solving and technology and it was far beyond what um you know, anyone else was doing. And I was just lucky enough to kind of be a part of that. And that course and the interactions with my professor at the time, his name was Stephen Branting. And then a lot of the subsequent things that came out of that course really had an impact on me. Um, because of this course I was in, it, it actually kickstarted a lot of my career today, I would say. Through that course, I ended up we worked on a project, which then ended up kind of winning an award. So then I was oh, able cool. to go and speak at a conference when I was 13. And then that led to us getting to do field research and working in the lab and getting to speak at other events. And it, it just inspired me. It had such a big impact on what I wanted to do and cultivating skills at an early age that I was just always really grateful for that instructor. And the older I get, the more I look back on how foundational that was to, to my kind of career in life, how fortunate I was to have that. And so I've always wanted to, you know, just help where I, where I could. And so, you know, it kind of started just with trying to, to mentor people where I could ask, answer questions where I could. And then over time, um, it's just kind of evolved. I think it, it took a big jump too when I worked at Udacity for a couple of years. Um, okay. You know, they, you know, Udacity being an ed tech company, you know, you're sort of in that space. And even though I, I wasn't, you know, behind the camera, I wasn't even creating the courses. I was on the engineering side working on the app, but I just had such an interest in that space and in, uh, you know, modern like technology education and helping people find jobs that I found ways to sort of get more involved with students. So I kind of was going out of my way to, to organize meetups and to, to interact with our students. And, and that really just kind of inspired me even more so to try and again, you know, find those ways to interact. And so it's just kind of been one thing leading to another, finding new and interesting ways. And, and then somewhere along the lines, discovering that nowadays, you know, with, with the internet and, you know, YouTube and all the other tools we have at our disposal that there's a lot of pretty cool ways now to to try and teach people to try and you know provide some level of mentorship and support um, to try and foster community and I just I find that just incredibly valuable in so many ways 
you mentioned you mentioned a couple of things, and so I want to focus on the community bit for a second. The community, you know, helping raise up a community by with meetups or teaching other folks or helping other folks, so huge, so huge, especially in technology where you know things gonna they go really fast, and there's not sometimes it's just the documentation or someone helping you along the way for you to get an understanding of what you're working on. So there's that, but then the other thing too, I've noticed because I, I, I try, you know, I do the meetups. I do, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I used to be a teaching assistant. Uh, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a high that comes along too with, with teaching. And it's not, it's, it's not just because, Hey, everybody's focused on you, but it's more of, Hey, I'm helping somebody. Mm-hmm. Somebody is, you could, cause you can see that spark when things click in someone else and you've helped with that. And you're like, Oh wow. You know, it's because you're on that. You could see it. That, that That's, that's such a cool feeling to have. Um, totally. So I, yeah. I, I totally relate to the, the teaching assistant thing that you mentioned. Um, I, when I was in grad school, uh, I, I taught for a semester, an intro level CS class. And I, I enjoyed, you know, being in front of the classroom and teaching well enough. I thought that was fun. But the thing I actually really enjoyed was the one-on-one time in the, like the help center. I, I found myself hanging out there at times when I, when I didn't need to be, I'm sure there was probably better things I could have done, but I actually really enjoyed hanging out there and just chatting with people one-on-one. And like you said, seeing those light bulb moments. Yeah. was really cool. Yeah. And, and I, I encourage everybody to, to get out there. And, and if, if you don't, I mean, obviously not everybody's going to be teaching courses on Pluralsight, right? We all understand that, but uh, there are things that you might've struggled with. And let's say it's, you're just learning Android compose or you're, you're doing stuff with Swift UI or any new thing, or maybe it's something as simple as you just figured out how to, how to change the font on an Android text view something as simple as that, uh, blog about it, you know, write about it. Because when you post something like that out there, that can help a whole bunch of other folks. And you maybe not, you don't see it, but the cool thing is that one, uh, you're going to be helping other people. And two, uh, if you forget how to do that thing, which happens all of the time, you have this, um, you know, the resource that you've compiled for yourself that you could just go back and say, Hey, well, how do I do that again? So, and that's always cool because you can teach yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So with 2020 enforcing everything online, you've gotten a lot more experience with like, you know, teaching online courses. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite medium though, to teach folks with? Is it the one-on-one? Is it sometimes with YouTube now? Cause I know that's, that's not maybe new for you, but you know, you've been doing that for a while. Is it with podcasting? What's the, where do you get your biggest bang for your buck? That's a great question. Um, I think I think biggest bang for your buck in terms of, you know, if, if I if I think about how can I have the greatest impact with my time, I think it's definitely YouTube. And kind of the the rationale there is, you know, I when I was hosting meetups uh locally here for, for Udacity students, for example, you know, a, a good study night or something might be 10 people, 20 people, uh you know, hosting a local meetup again, you know, might be 30 people or something. Uh, even speaking at a conference, right? You you might have, you know, a couple hundred people watching your talk or something. So you have a captive audience for, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Um, but 
it, it kind of ends there. So it's kind of this limited window for your, for your time. Whereas on, on YouTube, I have found, you know, I, I've kind of grown enough as a channel now. I've gotten, I guess, savvy enough with some of the SEO or whatnot that even though I'm not a massive channel by any means, you know, even a video that doesn't do all that well will still maybe get hundreds of views or or thousands of views. And then I have, you know, a few that, you know, have 40,000 views. Um, and so in terms of just being able to put something out there and, you know, see how many people are seeing it, how many people are actually going through it, I, I think YouTube by far is the most impactful in that sense. Um, also, same thing like with a blog post, you know, might write a blog post that maybe, you know, maybe gets picked up in a newsletter or something. So it pops and gets a couple thousand views right away. And then maybe, you know, I have a few that have picked up SEO a little bit. So they, you know, get maybe hundreds of views or something each month or something like that. Um, but again, compared to like the number of people that are going through um, the the nine week Android development series that I released this year, like that one is seeing hundreds a day or something. And, you know, there's other Android YouTubers out there that I know are seeing like thousands and tens of thousands a day. So I think there's just a, a lot of potential online with, with YouTube that I really like. That said, my, my favorite is I probably still the one-on-ones. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's actually kind of, I, I feel like the, my podcast is a little bit trying to like supplement that a little bit, but I, I just really love getting to be out at conferences, meetups, um, you know, in an office or a co-working space and just like chatting with people one-on-one -on -one, talking tech and career and all that stuff. Um, obviously in 2020, you know, we're all missing that. And so I think that's where, you know, eventually I'm like, I just, I want a place where I can pretend that I'm talking to someone one-on-one <laughs> -on -one and I'll just heck with, I'll, I'll record it and you put it on YouTube, um, whatever. And that kind of turned into the podcast. Well, that's what this is. This is just my way of scamming interesting people, <laughs> people I find interesting to talk to me. It's, a, I mean, that, you fell for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. No, I, but, I, totally. And I, I, I have to say, like, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast for the same reason, right? You know, because a, a handful of your guests have been, you know, friends from the Android community for me. So, you know, it's been fun just to like listen. It's almost oh, like listening you. into a conversation out at an event or something. Um, so, yeah, I yeah. think there's a, a, a need where people want that and are looking for, for different places to sort of supplement that community right now. Yeah. And I, and, you know, and I want to point out something too, because I want people out there to kind of, to, to take from your example and then, you know, people might be interested in doing a YouTube channel and I want them to understand or, or a podcast or, or blog posts. Uh, and I want them to understand like, you know, when you talk about hundreds of views or thousands of views, that is something that you put in over years of effort yeah, to get to absolutely. that point. So you know, when po folks put together a podcast or a YouTube channel, don't get discouraged if you're not seeing thousands of views. Do it because you love doing it. And if you do it because you love doing it, enough years will go by where enough people will realize, hey, that person's putting out some really cool content. Let's pick it up. Let let's enjoy that. Let's share it with more and more friends. And that's when you start to get to the levels that Nate's talking about. So don't, you know, don't, again, don't think you, you're going to start a YouTube channel overnight. And I'm um, if you did uh, and you had thousands of people overnight, that's fantastic. And I would love for you to then put together a podcast or a YouTube channel <laughs> telling us all how to do that because we'd all love to learn. 
Yeah, um, that, that's great. I'm glad you pointed that out too, um, because you're spot on. And like for, yeah. for just to, to balance it out here, you know, I mentioned, you know, a few of my YouTube videos have, you know, in the tens of thousands of views for, for, rep, or for contrast, like my podcast, you know, just the, the regular, the audio version of the podcast, uh, I think it has like 250 total downloads after, you know, a couple months. So, you know, that's each episode is, you know, getting something like 30 to 40 or something like that. So, so you're, you're totally spot on. It is yeah. definitely kind of a long game and it takes a long time to get some traction and figure out how you want to do things. Um, but, but it is worth it if you, if you can stick with it. Yeah. And, and do it because you love it. That's yeah. because if you love doing something and it's not a chore and, uh, but, um, anyway, we'll stay on the teaching thing for a bit because I want to talk about one thing that I thought I saw on your, your LinkedIn profile and I was totally enamored with this. Um, your, your courses, you know, they help folks understand the basics and then some, but you had this fascinating grad project that involved open CV and Android. And by no means is open CV and a basic, you know, tenant of Android development. Like yeah. very few people do stuff with this. And I was hoping you can tell us a little bit about what you were doing with Android and open CV and open CV folks for who don't know it's open camera view. So yeah. what about your pro? What, what, what was your project, Nate? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited you asked that cause I don't get to talk about this that much anymore. So, <laughs> so that was my, that was the, my graduate research. So my, my, uh, master's thesis, uh, that was the, the research lab I was working on. And we were working on kind of at the high level, we were working on evolving robotic controllers in real time on cheap off the shelf hardware. So, so a little bit more, I guess, concretely, we had these little robots, um, little robot cars, basically, that were sort of this hodgepodge of components from like a, a regular RC car that you could buy um, at, at, you know, local, you know, electronic store or something. Sure. Then we, you know, we put kind of like an Arduino board on that with a, with a Bluetooth uh, chip on that. And then we hooked up a, an Android phone to connect to that Bluetooth chip and then send uh, basically directional commands to kind of control the device. And then we had another phone that could send commands to the phone on the bot to kind of turn it on and off. And so anyways, that was kind of the hardware part of it. The, the software, the research was basically taking camera inputs from the, the camera on the bot and evolving neural networks using evolutionary algorithms to basically in real time evolve a network that could solve some some basic kind of navigation problems. So we would cool. we would put this robot, you know, on the ground somewhere and say we want it to follow this brick path that's maybe, you know, in the middle of this park. And so we would kind of set it down, you know, here and we'd say, all right, we're going to put it over here. We're going to give it a couple training inputs real quick that says, you know, if you kind of if you see this, you know, you see the road curving off to the right, you know, we want you to turn right. We do the same thing to left. We do, you know, give it a few inputs and basically hit go. And it would just sort of like start moving around and we could give it some, you know, kind of reinforcement or whatnot. And eventually it would figure out kind of on the fly how to follow this path. 
Um, so that was, that was kind of the goal. That was where we got to. So the software behind it then was pretty interesting because there, there was a number of challenges to it that okay. our, our lab was sort of um, interestingly suited to solving. So there's, there's the, the, the AI, the like evolutionary robotics part of it, of just, you know, evolving a neural network efficiently in all the different things that go into that part of the algorithm. Um, then there was sort of the image processing part of it. You know, how do you, what is the best way to take a still image on camera hardware from, you know, seven or eight years ago? Um, you know, how do you chop that up? How many inputs, you know, are you doing color analysis? Are you doing edge detection? You know, all the different things that can go into that. Then how do you do it efficiently on, again, on old hardware, um, you know, on a, on a mobile phone that costs a hundred bucks or something um, and then feed that in. And then there's just Android. Then there's this like trying to do this all <laughs> uh, within the context of an Android application that's, you know, really easy to use and functions just like a regular project. So I came into this um, being interested in robotics, uh, interested in like evolutionary algorithms and, but, but not really having experience with it, but I did know Android. I had kind of taught, like before my grad school program started, I had taught myself how to code Android with uh, Android for dummies. Okay. And wow. so okay. I, I grabbed that book. I spent my semester off before grad school learning that I put an app in the app store and then I showed up at grad school and I found this research lab doing artificial intelligence and robotics research on Android phones but none of them really knew how to work with Android. So I kind of finagled my way in there um, and kind of pitched myself as the, the person who was excited, ready to learn about the AI, but could help translate everyone else's ideas into you know, more efficient code. So that was kind of how I started. And my, I think the first big impact I had actually was specific to the OpenCV stuff. Uh, because I, I was able to, uh, I think, I think at first I was able to improve the the performance of our image processing algorithm by something like fifty percent. Like initially, it was yeah. really really slow, and there just wasn't enough power or enough like cycles in the team at that point. With only, I think at the time there was like three uh, you know students, so they just didn't have the time to focus on optimizing that part of it. And it was actually it was pretty prohibitive at that point. It was running so slow, we could only process like, you know, a, like a frame every couple of seconds. So like that, that real time aspect yeah. of it wasn't quite as there. So I was able to get it. So we were processing several frames a second. And then, then this was really cool. This was something I had never done before and really haven't done that much since. But, um, you know, if the, initially we had been using the, the Java implementation of OpenCV and just running it kind of natively as you know Java on the device, but there's a, a C++ implementation as well. So we actually ended up kind of taking what we had in, from the Java code, re-implementing it in C++ and using the, the NDK to get that faster native performance. And that actually like really increased the speed again to the point where we were able to start um, designing some processing algorithms using things like edge detection. 
So we actually eventually got to a place where we could kind of run this experiment using different types of image classifiers and compare the results. So we had one that maybe used RGB color, which isn't great for that kind of thing. And then another one using maybe HSV, another one using edge detection. And so um, that ended up being really cool. And that was what I got to do a lot of real focus coding on, um, which was great for me because I hadn't really been writing software for very long at that point. I mean, I went from like picking up Android for dummies to writing this image processing for these mobile robots, like within the same year, um, which was really cool. And uh, I really, I was really, it helped reinforce my choice to go into software development um, because that wasn't my initial path. And I kind of made a pivot like right at the end of my, my undergraduate degree and Anyways, like that project really kind of reinforced like, okay, yeah, you made the right choice. Like you're getting to work on much cooler stuff than you would have been otherwise. Um, And, you know, that was kind of it from there. It was just, it's been all Android. Nice. Uh, You know, real quick, I know folks are going to like ask me like, why didn't you ask this if I don't ask this? But what was that? What were you focused on prior to going into software development? Yeah. um, So this actually goes back to that course I took in seventh grade that we mentioned before. So that course um, exposed me to geographic information systems, which for, for those that maybe aren't familiar, it's basically the idea of, um, you know, collecting and analyzing geographic data and the, the associated metadata and using it for analysis and decision-making um, kind of just basically you can think of it like big data with a location involved Uh, back before, you know, big data was the buzzword it is. So we were at that time collecting data about some local cemeteries, actually, among other things. But the the project we ended up presenting all over the place was related to a cemetery. Um, And anyways, that early exposure to GIS, that was the path I was on. So when I got to college, I majored in geography with an emphasis in geographic information systems. And that's what I was going to do. I even, I had uh, internships during my undergrad where I was working as sort of a GIS project manager in local government. And I was really enjoying that. And that's like, that was what I was going to do. And, um, and funnily enough, my freshman year of college, I took a computer science course and, and hated it and did poorly <laughs> in it. Like I was lucky to scrape by with a C in that course. I just, I did not want to sit down and write a temperature calculator in C++ at that well, point in my life. Yeah. And undergrad computer science courses are the worst. They are. They really are. <laughs> um, we could probably have a whole chat just around that. Yeah. Um, so, so but anyways, that's yeah, that's fascinating yeah. though that, I mean, you, so the, the, it's, it's, it's kind of, I won't say it's a 180 or kind of a big, big, but it is a big jump uh, to go from, you know, doing that to doing, you know, learning Android. And then within the same year, uh, you're programming Android for uh, mobile phones to help, uh, you know, cars move around uh, through AI detect, you know, it, it's, that's, incredibly fascinating. And I, you know, I think it kind of, it helps illustrate to folks that yes, you can get into these amazing projects, um, without kind of having this dedicated four years of computer software, okay, sorry, computer science degrees, 
uh, it you really kind of have to one have the passion to really be interested in doing it, uh, and two, a lot of it is kind of luck, you know. Uh, and 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 in your case, how how well of a salesman you were at selling yourself to that team uh, to bring you on board. So, it just that's really that's really fascinating stuff, Nate. I I think that's really cool, and I think you know to that point too, a lot of folks don't really get to play around with these different types of user experiences, right? So in your mm-hmm. case, you were doing it for an RC car, which, you know, it's not really, you know, for the RC car, it really didn't care that much for you. It did, but for the RC car, not so much, but yeah. open CV is used for other types of applications. So for example, you can do something like, um, you know, Snapchat filters or the equivalent of this with the, with, with this type of software. And so for folks that are interested in learning some stuff about that, that is where you might want to go. And so I love when people do these creative kind of out of the box uh, user experiences, as opposed to here's a bunch of buttons. I mean, you can learn a lot about Android or iOS by writing those types of apps, but the other types of apps that are out there that use, you know, whether it's audio, something with audio or something with video or still, you know, still image analysis, um, that's, those are some really cool things that people can, should be looking into. And, and if you're trying to set yourself apart as a developer in the mobile development field, those, those are kind of ways that you can do that. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I, I get people that ask me questions all the time. They all sort of have this, this theme to them around like, do I need to sort of give up like my hobby or my secondary interests so that I can just focus a hundred percent on, you know, writing code so I can go get a job at, you know, whatever big company. Um, And I always encourage people actually, like, at least in my experience, it's been quite the opposite. Like most of the, the really interesting things I've sort of been able to get into because of the secondary things. Like, you know, I tried to get into an AI lab and and I only got in because of my Android experience, not because of AI. And then getting my first job after grad school I'm pretty sure that I got that job because of my GIS experience, as opposed to because I had, you know, the software development chops to go get a job at, a, you know, maybe a, a Microsoft or something like that. Um, and similar, like, you know, Udacity, it was the, the education, my interest in that. Um, and so I, I think that, like, there, if you can find a way to sort of meld your other interests with then, you know, we think of software development as a tool or, you know, something to, to assist in that. I think that's where people can really find the, the interesting work and the, and the fulfilling work and, and, and hopefully, you know, financially rewarding as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and, and yeah, to that point, exactly. You know, your, your hobbies can be, you know, melded with computer science because, you know, computer science, a lot of it is just kind of modeling the real world. So, there's a lot of things that, you know, there's not a lot of things that you can't model uh, mm-hmm. using code. And so, yeah, if you're interested in, you know, gardening, okay, well, you can write apps to figure out when, when it's time to water, what, you know, what, what plants uh, need particular sunlight, um, you know, what you know, directly or indirectly and, or what times of years should, you know, is it best to fertilize? So there's all kinds of different things that you can do with modeling. And, and then it's just one that kind of popped into my head, but but yeah, learn to fuse your hobby with something in computer, with some kind of app that you're interested in building and build it. You know, so many times you hear, I mean, I, I mean, you must hear this a lot. Someone will come up to you and say, hey, I have this a fantastic idea for an app. 
why don't you go ahead and build it and then I'll make all the money off of it. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you don't really understand how that works, but if they did understand, Hey, just go, you know, get a book, look at a podcast, you know, read a, read a book or read a bunch of blog posts or watch a bunch of YouTube videos, learn to code and you can do what you're trying to do. It might not be as polished, but it can be functional. And so that's one of the things I try to encourage folks is just, you know, try to go with the flow. Um, yeah. All right. I want to get into your YouTube channel and your podcast uh, sure. because, you know, you've, you encourage folks a lot to get going with Android development. So, and, and you've got a slew of social media content under the Goo Bar brand. So I'm, by the way, I'm waiting for t-shirts. I'm going to be the first person to buy a t-shirt because uh, I love, I love the name. <laughs> so you started your blog, goobar.io uh, years ago. Uh, and so you've got this amazing YouTube channel under the same name. Uh, and it's not just tons of content, but all kinds of content from career advice to development, to live stream QAs, uh, to Android studio tips, to how to's all, all the stuff, you know, everything, right. Does all of this content creation stem from just, you know, your love of teaching that you just have to, it's pouring out of you. You need to find ways to put it out there. Um, Largely, yes. I, I would say that it's a combination of the the desire to want to to teach, to want to be uh, almost like a remote mentor or something in a sense. Okay, like a, a remote, you know, Mr. Miyagi uh, for anime. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I've been watching Cobra Kai. So. I just started it yesterday, and now I like I just want to binge it this weekend. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, no. So it, it's this, it's this, this desire to want to to help people. It's it's um, an observation I think that a lot of material out there is focused more, I, I would say, for experienced developers or. It's, it's targeted towards beginners, but I think sometimes still glosses over a lot of stuff um, that I think are, are relevant uh, or that, you know, is just really useful for, for beginners. Um, I think also there's part of it that, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you're, you know, find ways to, to integrate your hobbies. I really enjoy the, the creative side of it and, and just like the learning, um, getting to learn about, uh, video editing, uh, photography, videography, audio, uh, you know, creating thumbnails, creating slide decks and animations. Or like, there's just all of this opportunity to be creative. And I've always, I've always been a creative person, but I, you know, never getting into like one thing. And I, and I just like be this digital sort of creation where I'm doing all of these different things together. Again, it just like, it fits really well for me. So I, I love the the intersection of trying to improve the way I can, you know, convey concepts, you know, to try and produce something useful and helpful to people while getting to exercise these other skills. Um, I, it's just this really interesting, like perfect storm that it, it just, it's helped kind of keep me going and, and want to do more. Like I, I find more and more that like, I, I wish I had more time to dedicate to this. Like yeah. I, I think all the time that if someone just sort of was backing me and I, or I was independently wealthy or something, like what would I do? <laughs> um, and I, I think a big part of that would be 
you know, more time towards trying to, to build these, these courses and find better ways of presenting this information and presenting anything. So, That's awesome. um, yeah, it's just, it's really become, you know, a, a hobby, um, more than really anything else. Now we talked before about like what your favorite platform was to get your message out, but you know, after hearing what you just said, what's your favorite platform for creating content on? Uh, is it still YouTube? That is a good question. Um, I'm yeah. sure no I, one I, from Google's listening, by the way, if you say it's not YouTube. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's YouTube. Um, I, you know, I, I love Twitter. That's, you know, if I'm thinking just like different platforms out there, I love just right. interacting with the community and stuff on Twitter. But, you know, in terms of, you know, creating content or whatnot, you know, I've never really done much there or anything. Um, and I, I love writing and stuff too, but I, I just, you know, I think getting traction kind of in like the, the blogging or website space is I think harder these days than it is um, on YouTube. So, so yeah, that's the one that I really enjoy the, the place I'm, or maybe the, the new platform I'm, I'm really interested to kind of explore is the idea of creating sort of standalone courses that you know live outside of youtube just on their own mm -hmm. um you know I've, I've done like like last spring i taught a course for a for a local college here in seattle and so i had you know lesson plans and materials and, and so i ended up living a little bit like in canvas and the you know the school's system and you know the videos ended up making it to, to youtube in some form but i would really like to try just creating kind of a self-packaged course um, somewhere like, you know, Teachable or uh, I forget the name of some of the other ones. There's, there's a number of, you know, course platforms out there, but I think that would be really interesting um, just because again, it's sort of a, a different way of packaging it. It's sort of a different form factor in a way that I think, you know, again, maybe serves a slightly different audience. So I think that's something I would like to experiment with and see how that fits into some of these others. Well, I, I think it would be fantastic if, uh, you know, a couple of years from now, I turn around, go to goobar.io, uh, which is Nate's website, and it's like raywenderlich.com for Android development. That would be, that would be dope. I'll, I'll say that. I, <laughs> I, I think that would be great too. Yeah, I, I love, I, I love but you're, Ray Wenderlich. Yeah done um and you know i followed them for years i remember when it wasn't nearly so comprehensive and everything so you know I, there there are people and companies and stuff out there doing that and i think that kind of stuff is like it's very much there it's not easy by any means but the tools and stuff are there today and, and the the demand for it is there yeah yeah and that's the thing you know a lot of people talk you, you learned android development for with a book um when i was learning mobile development, like they, they, first of all, you didn't, it was unheard of to have a, a school teaching mobile development as an undergrad uh, set of courses just didn't happen. And I think, you know, Stanford's got some courses now, but one, not everybody gets into Stanford. Uh, so that's, that's a big one, <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> Two, yeah. you know, it's not an entire four years. So, you know, a lot of people learn mobile development by a being developers and doing something else and then learning through sites like Ray Wenderlich through sites like, you know, like with your YouTube channel now, that's how people are learning it. It's so nobody is any kind of classically trained mobile developer. It's just doesn't, it doesn't exist. 
So, mm-hmm. which is, which is what I love about the community because it's usually a bunch of people who are used to like, okay, we're, we're just, we're taking this here and we're going to move, you know, we're, 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 we're all over the place and we have no, um, attitude about, we have no airs about that. You know, we're not kind of hoity-toity, whereas some people who are maybe doing other parts of computer science development work might have a bit of an air about that because of the prestigiousness of what they're doing, maybe. So, yeah, I, I definitely see that, like, you know, just experiencing it, being, you know, a developer, being a content creator, I see it in like the the types of content people creating, but also, you know, see it in what people are asking for, you know, looking mm-hmm. at, you know, comments in my channel or other people's channels. And you always like, you know, say like, I, I want a, a, a course with like this set of six things, you know, can you show me how to build something with these things? And someone else wants this other set of, you know, different things. And, you know, it's ever, the, the mobile landscape is changing so fast and then there's so many different types of applications that nobody knows how to do everything and there's no one set way and so like you said you you have to just sort of accept that we're all just sort of you know piecing things together as best we can trying to keep up the best we can um and and there's kind of a fun sense of community in that like you were saying everyone's just kind of trying to do our best in a way and then hopefully elevate you know the the state of the art along the way help elevate others you know skill sets along at the same time yeah a lot of it feels a lot i mean maybe for me maybe not maybe this maybe this is just unique for me but it kind of feels like you're trying to build the airplane uh while you're trying to take off from the runway uh, yeah. so, <laughs> but, yeah, I think um, that's very true. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the podcast for a second. I love the concept behind it. It's a little different than the YouTube channels, but, um, mm-hmm. you treat it though, as though you are just sitting down with someone for a cup of coffee and kind of talking about things. Tell us what the new podcast is about. Yeah. Um, so the new podcast, like I said, we've, we've, I've talked a little bit about the inspiration behind it. I wanted to, you know, simulate the, the chats with people. I, I also, when I'm, when I'm doing it and, and I was, I was thinking about it, I, I thought back to my first year as a software developer and how at the time it felt like there was so much I didn't know. And there was so much I didn't even know that I didn't know. And, you know, we take that, I think for granted, you know, uh, if you look at tech Twitter or something, people are talking about sprints and standups and burn down charts and scrum and, um, and all the different, you know, tech topics and just like all of this stuff. And, and I came in, you know, feeling like I, like I know Android pretty well, but that like, that was like, that was it. And even that, like, I didn't know it nearly as well as I thought I did. And so I, I benefited so much from the the impromptu the the random conversations i had with other people on my team and i was so fortunate to have a great first team a team that wanted to take the time and explain things to me a team that wanted to to have relationships that weren't just based on on work but we could sit down you know have lunch uh chat about things and it just helped me fill in all of those gaps. It helped me feel like I wasn't an imposter. It helped me feel like I belonged in in that space on that team. 
And, and it also, you know, it helped guide me and, and expose me to other areas that I could then, you know, go explore, or it helped expose me to different uh, learning resources. So it was, it was so impactful. And these days, as more and more people, I think, are, are learning on their own, you know, be, we have all these resources, you know, YouTube, whatever, so you can learn from home. Uh, I think people are learning at an earlier age where, you know, they're maybe years away from actually entering the job force, but they're still learning these things. They still have questions. Then in 2020, you know, we're, we're all at home. So even people that maybe are in their first job or something and have a team, they're not getting the FaceTime with those people that maybe they were, um, especially if they're at companies that weren't as prepared for remote and maybe they're still getting used to this new paradigm. So I just felt like there was this, this need or, or thought maybe there was this need for those types of conversations where, you know, kind of pretending we're sitting down and talking about like, you know, one interesting little aspect of like, how do you think about naming, you know, analytics events or something like that? Or, you know, uh, I think the most recent episode I was just talking about blog post ideas, because that was something that when I started in my career, I watched, um, I, I read a, comp, a blog post from um, Chuki Chan about, you know, blog post ideas after you are at a conference and like just these little nuggets that stuck in my head over time and have helped me, you know, get more involved, help shape my career. Um, and so I've just wanted to kind of sit down and not, not create content, not create videos that, you know, are, you know, based on maybe SEO or maybe not part of some like big course where lots of people are going to watch, but maybe something where maybe 50 people watch or listen to the episode, but maybe it, you know, it really kind of sticks with them or it helps, you know, point them towards a new uh, idea or a new concept or a new resource. Um, so it was just trying to, be a little bit more, I'll say intimate. That sounds almost like a funny word, but like, you know, wanted it to sound like we're just sitting down for a chat, like you pointed out and talking about all the things that go into software development in addition to just the random questions like what's better, Java or Kotlin? Because like those are discussed all the time, but a lot of this other stuff isn't. Yeah. And that's, that's why I like the show. And those chats are crucial to especially young developers who you know, don't have access to those senior developers. Like, you know, like you said, Hey, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Let's go get a coffee. Okay. Let's go take a walk and we'll talk about some stuff. And that's not happening, uh, especially in, in quarantine or work, working remotely. Uh, Cause I know even without coronavirus, people do work remotely and don't get as much access to folks. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to kind of delve into these other areas to kind of round out your career as a software developer. And I, that's why I thought the, the podcast was really cool. And the fact that the podcast is it's digestible bites. So you can literally listen to uh, the podcast in 20 minutes. You can walk away from it with so much information. I definitely encourage folks to go and check it out. It's, you can find it at goobar.buzzsprout.com. I love the podcast. Like I said, yeah, I didn't know you had the podcast until I started following you on Twitter. And then I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Wow. Let's check this out. Oh, okay. Pretty cool. And then you simulcast it on YouTube as well. So if you don't, you don't know where to find podcasts, which 
it'd be odd considering you're listening to this. <laughs> you know, you can you can you can catch the simulcast on you, YouTube as well. I find, like I said, I find it entertaining. It's helpful. I think everybody should go check it out. Speaking of being helpful, Nate, you wrote a book because you're not busy enough. You're not, you know, you, you, yeah. we're talking about creating content. You're not busy enough. So you decide to write a book, Mastering Kotlin. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone I speak to that's written a book describes it as an ordeal, I guess is yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. I hope yeah. you, I hope you've had some more fun writing yours, but what was that experience like for you? Um, yeah, I think an, an ordeal is a fair way to put it. Um, <laughs> I, I actually really liked writing the book. Um, editing it was less fun. Um, not, not because of, I, not because the editing process is bad. I kind of like the editing process. I actually, my biggest complaint was that I wanted more time to edit it. Um, so my, my, my biggest oh, wow. complaint was okay. that, um, I felt like the timeline was a little weird. Um, and not to, I don't want to talk too bad or anything about, you know, the, the publisher or whatever, you know, overall, I had a pretty good experience with it. Um, definitely better than some people I've talked to with their books. Um, but yeah, I think I spent something was like seven months to write, you know, this like 16 chapter book and then trying to edit everything in like four weeks or something to, to hit the, like the wow. deadline. And, and when we, I kind of agreed to the deadline, you know, I had never written a book, so I didn't think like, it didn't occur to me that that was kind of a weird breakdown of time. Right. And then I got there and it's like, yeah. wow, I spent a lot of time writing all this. And now we have to review and edit all of this in how long. So that part Piece is worth challenging for sure. Um, but, and, and trying to, you know, find the time to, to write while also doing other things, maintaining a job, maintaining the rest of your life and everything, you know, that's certainly challenging. But when I would sit down to write that part, I actually really enjoyed. I had always wanted to write a book. I don't know why it was just something I always had wanted to do. I really, I had a lot of fun doing it and it was really a great way to learn like if nothing else like i it i learned i feel like a lot of the ins and outs of of kotlin um it helped me like give me a reason to dive into some of the the more obscure bits because there is some chapters in the back around you know kotlin js you know kotlin multi-platform so if nothing else it was a really good forcing function for me to just get to learn to explore, um, to get the experience of writing something that big and just like trying to keep yeah. the thread of a topic like through a chapter and then through a whole section and a whole book. Um, so yeah, it was, just, it was very rewarding in pretty much every way aside from monetarily. Like, like if you want to write a book to make money, <laughs> I think... You know, I would encourage you to rethink that. But if you want to write a book to practice the skill of writing or you want to learn or or any of many other things, um, for me, it was it was quite good. You may not make that money right away, but I think when you say to other people, hey, I'm an Android developer and I've written a book on Android, it elevates you in the community, I guess um, I want to say. But what I really find fascinating about what you just said, though was that you learned a lot writing the book about Kotlin. Now, again, your the title of the book is called Mastering Kotlin. And 
what's fascinating is that you're learning as you're writing. And so I want folks to come away from that is that, look, Nate is an experienced developer and he sets off to write this book, Mastering Kotlin. And he doesn't know all the ins and outs of Kotlin, but I say this all the time is that as he is, as he's, as he says, Hey, I've committed to this. I have to do this. Whether it's a conference talk or writing a book, you're, you're going to try to put your best foot forward. So you're going to do that research. You're going to learn so much in doing it. So if you're afraid that you don't know enough and you shouldn't, Hey, why, why should I submit a conference talk? Why should I submit, ask people at the meetup if I can speak? Why should I try to write a book? Well, just do it and you'll learn along the way. Just make sure if you're writing a book, you ask for more time to edit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So when I buy the book and I go through it, uh, what, are the th- what, what are some of the major concepts I'm going to be a master in when I'm done? That is a great question. Um, so a few of the things, like obviously we get the, the book, you know, covers basic syntax. Um, it, there's a whole sort of section on trying to write idiomatic Kotlin, um, which is kind of a nebulous term that doesn't really mean all that much. But try to try to explore uh, the standard library, for example, and some of the the interesting functions, um, some of the types of functional programming you can do with Kotlin. Um, one of the, the really interesting parts of the book that, um, was kind of my, my favorite to get into was trying to do a quick highlight of the different places that Kotlin can be used. Um, I think that's one thing, you know, I still, I talk to lots of people that have heard of Kotlin, but they, they think that it's just Google's language for Android. Like they don't realize that Google didn't create Kotlin and they don't realize that Kotlin can be used in so many more places. Uh, so, you know, there's a section on, you know, using it for Kotlin JS, like I mentioned, you know, there's a section on setting up and starting to use an Android project with Kotlin and then, you know, using some of the KTX libraries where, you know, where they're providing nice little, you know, DSLs or convenient wrapper APIs in Kotlin to take advantage of that. Um, uh, multi-platform, for example, uh, oh, I think cool. there's a, also a short little intro section uh, on using KTOR and the idea of being able to, you know, write small little services in KTOR. And, so, you know, so, yeah, so ahead. you are going to walk away with a lot of Kotlin knowledge. Yeah, you definitely you touch, awesome. on, touch on a lot of different areas. I think it does a good job of getting you up to speed with the language, particularly if you're, you're kind of new newer to java or or programming in general i think again you know my my style i think is always a little bit more focused to the the newer developer as opposed to you know someone that's maybe been doing java for 15 years and Excellent. you know wants to just transfer all that expertise right over to kotlin so I'm trying to kind of find a middle ground there a little bit um but yeah the, the one thing i wish was in the book uh, that is not really is coroutines because those were sort of just starting to like come stable at the same time the book was being published. So we sort of just mm-hmm. missed that. So who knows, maybe if we do an updated version of the book or something sometime, a second edition, I imagine that topic would be in there. Um, but yeah. well, I'm sure one, if I'm sure once you do, Google will come up with something else. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so <laughs> whether it's state flow now or something else. Yeah. But, all right. Cool. Excellent. Um, Nate, I want to ask you some questions that kind of look back on your career a little bit, if that's cool with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. What have been some challenges that you have struggled with coming up as a developer in your career? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so I think, I think one that I sort of touched on, um, but coming from like, not coming from like a CS uh, degree per se. I mean, I, I got, I ended up getting a master's, so I have a CS degree, but I felt really behind. Like when I first started programming um, and I was getting ready to start my, my master's program in CS, I felt really behind. Like I, I just, I assumed that everyone was a better developer than me. I felt very out of the loop in terms of uh, where to find resources. Um, I, I just, I, I remember entering my first job very much with a strong case of imposter syndrome. And, and again, didn't even like, I didn't know that phrase for like the first two years of my career. Um, so, I, so I think I just, I struggled to feel um, like I really belonged kind of in that role and in that field and, and questioned myself quite a bit in that. Um, I think I have also struggled a bit um, with I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it. Not so much work-life balance, but I struggle to like find a balance of, we'll say like during my work hours, like always finding the balance between, you know, real work versus, you know, do I want to spend time, you know, trying to speak or or write or create a course. Um, like I just, I, I always find myself probably stretched too thin. And I, I really think I would benefit from doing fewer things sometimes. And, and like, like I give that advice to people too. I just, I struggle to take my own advice um, because I, I think, and in some ways too, I probably perpetuate the same thing I try to fight against, but like, because I do so many things, some, I, I know people have talked to me before asking me like, Oh, you do all these things. Like, I want to do all those things too, because that must be like how you become successful. Um, and I don't think you have to. And like I said, I think I would might be better off doing fewer things. I just like exploring so many different things. So I think I struggle with in a world of like infinite, you know, opportunities and infinite things to explore. Um, I struggle trying to, pick the right ones or the, the most efficient ones, or just staying focused on one thing long enough to really go deep into it. Yeah. You, you mentioned imposter syndrome there. Um, how do you deal with those feelings? Cause I mean, well, let me ask you a question as now a more senior developer. Uh, do you still have those feelings? And <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was hoping, I was hoping you'd say that. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to, just to prove a point that it does not matter uh, where you are in your career, uh, that voice in your head that tells you you don't know what you're doing. Why do people want to listen to you? Sit down. Don't do this. That voice is always going to be there, and it it it's got rent free space in your head uh, forever. It does not go away. But Nate, how do you how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, um, I can share a number of things on this. So, like one was just getting involved in the community 
helped a lot because I discovered that there's a whole lot of people out there that feel the same way. And so, you know, like, like many things, many anxieties or stressors that we have, if we can name it, and then we discover that other people also go through it, it, it just becomes easier. It takes, it takes a weight off a little bit. Um, I think, you know, chatting with, with other developers that, you know, I, I looked up to and admire that, um, you know, had an impact on me chatting with other people on my team, discovering, you know, Hey, like this person has been coding for 20 years, but I was able to answer their question, but then they answered lots of my questions, like recognizing that nobody knows everything all at once. Um, you know, kind of first coming onto that and then over the years, just being able to internalize that more and more. I think that really helped um, something for like for a while, like while I was sort of learning that lesson, I think I was going the other way for a while, like went through the phase of just like trying to learn and do stuff all the time. So just like trying to pack in as many hours in the day, trying to feel like I needed to to catch up, like I was behind, like, when I was really kind of getting into those feelings, um, actually, um, I, I started seeing a therapist at times to okay. just sort of help, um, you know, chat through stressors and things like that. And I have found that really helpful over the years, um, you know, just sort of think of it as, you know, a tune-up for, for the mental state and whatnot. Um, and, and certainly also helping like, you know, we, we're not just like developers, right? We have other things going in on our lives. Yeah. And I, again, I've experienced this and I've chatted with people that experience this that like feel like they can't take time off from trying to commit every day to get their GitHub graph all green oh. while they also have like these really real things going on in their personal life and, you know, how hard that is to manage. And so, um, I found that really helpful um, a couple years ago in particular when I was kind of circling the burnout drain and kind of going through that. I think that really helped me just recognize that I was kind of going through a place of, of burnout that I had my priorities had kind of become skewed um, and, you know, going through it. Now I, I kind of see when I'm getting closer, I can kind of feel that, recognize the signs and, you know, take a break when I need to. Yeah. Um, I think actually that, that was something that helped too, like seeing, like going through a phase of a pretty severe burnout at one point, or, or at least for me, it's the most severe I've ever had. I, you know, I don't want to compare necessarily to anyone else, but for me, it was pretty bad. And, and seeing how bad that kind of was and wanting to avoid that and recognizing like, you know what, it's so much more important to take a break to not try and do this new thing um, at the, you know, the cost or the benefit of just preserving my mental health, my physical health, um, happiness and all that. So um, just think a lot of lessons around the fact that nobody can do it all. Nobody knows it all. Um, yeah. And that, you know, this is just kind of a, a, a journey that we're all on. Um, well, one of the things... First of all, everything you said right there, just kind of all of those boxes kind of just ticked off. Uh, but one of the things that I find helpful to realize is that when you think about 
imposter syndrome or where it comes from. And it comes, I, I think it comes from that place where you're comparing yourself to someone else. And we've got social media out there where we're constantly seeing all of these cool people doing amazing things. And we're saying, why can't I do that? And then you start to do that and you're like, well, I'm not going as fast as so-and-so is. I don't, I, you know, I, so what I try to do is I don't compare myself to anyone else in the tech community because one, I couldn't care less. Uh, two, <laughs> the, the second thing is that I try to compare myself to myself, uh, compare myself to myself five years ago, uh, two months ago, last week, yesterday, and how am I progressing? Am I progressing at the rate that I um, feel comfortable with? And, you know, have I learned something new in, in the past, you know, whatever, you know, time period is? And that's kind of how I start to gauge where, where I'm at. And I think for me, that's been a lot more, that's been much more healthier than saying, hey, I, why don't I create a YouTube channel? Why don't I have a, why don't I create a podcast for this? And why don't I write code for this? And the green boxes things, oh my gosh, that bugs the hell out of me because no one cares about green boxes yeah. um, other than tech Twitter. <laughs> so, so it, it, and it's just these burdens that people are putting on not just themselves, but other people. And it's, it's so, yeah, it's sad, but uh, I think having a positive attitude, realizing it, when it happens so that you can mitigate it just the same way that if you were hungry, you would realize it and then mitigate that by going to get, say, a sandwich. Uh, the same thing with imposter syndrome, understanding when it's happening so that you can take steps to say, okay, I need to take a break or I need to step back or I need to do something to, to mitigate this. Um, so one thing I, I want to ask you though, Nate, what do you do to clear your mind, to escape? Um, Clear your mind from all the work that you've got going on. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so running became a really uh, important part of my sort of self-care. Um, when, I, when I started my first job out of college, uh, I hated running, but I ended up on this team. We were in Southern California. Um, and it just seemed like with, with the weather there and everything, like just everybody on my team was like running marathons or, uh, like triathlons or whatnot. And just like being around those people every day, like something shifted in me and I, I developed this, you know, this interest in running. And then as I started to get busier in my career and stuff and, and just in life, that really became kind of like my happy place to just be able to go sit. You know, I wouldn't take headphones or anything. And I would just like sit with my thoughts for, yeah. for, you know, however long, you know, maybe it's 20 minutes, maybe it's four hours um, and just like go do that. So that's become a really big one um, for me. The last, fantastic. the last that's year, fantastic. another one that I'll, like, again, has become really a favorite of mine uh, is photography. And it's, it's oh, cool. interesting because the only reason I started to get interested in that was because of like YouTube and starting to pay attention to cameras on all that. Um, but now like one of my favorite things is to just go kind of grab my camera and just go walk around and, and you know, take pictures. I, I think again, it's something there's like this mindfulness aspect to me where 
I start just paying attention to what's around me and what I'm seeing through the lens, as opposed to, you know, thinking about all the projects I want to do or, you know, what's going cool. on at work or anything like that. Um, so th those are the two things that like really stick out for me. Um, I, awesome. I enjoy playing video games too. I just like that. One, <laughs> I, that that's the one that like I do the least. I like I literally in my sort of my bullet journal for like my habits, I have like games in there as like a habit I want to cultivate right there next to like exercise because I just, I don't feel like I do it as much as I probably <laughs> should to, to help myself kind of stay balanced. Um, it's, the, it's the one with the fewest little check boxes on it though, consistently. Cool. <laughs> All right. I want to, so I want to get to the last question because I know we're kind of running out of time, but, uh, or we've ran out of time, but uh, folks in our professions, we don't get a lot of opportunities to promote ourselves. Um, here's a chance to do some self-promotion. What about yourself are you most proud of? Uh, do you love the most about yourself or something about you that you use to inspire yourself? Oh man, that is an interesting question. Um, how do you, how do you, so essentially let, let me rephrase the question. How do you get people to buy Nate? Like what, what moves Nate Ebel off the shelf? <laughs> yeah. I, I think the thing I don't know. When I, when I think of myself, the, the thing that I think that maybe people resonate with or that, you know, maybe, um, you know, just makes me somewhat unique when compared to, to other, I don't know, people that are speaking or writing or creating tutorials, whatever. Um, I just, I try to be very personable, patient, and empathetic. I try to recognize that, like, everything that we're doing is is hard that there's lots of different perspectives and things on any given topic um and i just try and you know bring that in so that when whether i'm you know creating a course or writing a blog post or you know chatting with someone one on one i try and just be able to kind of you know meet the person where they are not take a lot of things for granted um try not also take it too seriously. Um, I think sometimes, you know, it's easy to feel like, you know, building an app is like the, the most important thing going on. And I try to <laughs> remind myself that it's not really in all reality. Um, and so, yeah, I, I try and just sort of be kind of, you know, that, that, that mentor for, for people, you know, if I can, you know, help, one person out there if, if i can put out a tutorial or something that helps one person um i'm i'm pretty happy with that idea um i always think that at the conference talk if i you know think of giving the talk and if one person in the audience gets something out of it i can feel happy with that so i i try not to get too worried about growing growing big or you know making a bunch of money off of anything you know i'm fortunate to not have to worry about that too much so um Try and just focus on the individual, I think. Well, I, I think that's a fantastic answer. And I also think you're a great instructor as well. So thank you. Um, but so Nate, thank you. Uh, you know, I hope you had some fun hanging out today. I, I did. I, I think this was a great time. Awesome. All right. So um, for folks out there that are interested in hearing more from Nate, you can follow him on Twitter at, at Nate Ebel. That's at N 
the number eight, E-B-E-L. Uh, you can check out goobar.io for his blog posts. You can go to youtube.com slash goobar for video content and find goobar on your favorite podcast platform, like the one you found this podcast on. And if you're interested in picking up Nate's book, Mastering Kotlin, you most definitely should do so. I'll have a link to that down below. As always, links to everything we've talked about, uh, OpenCV, all of the Goobar uh, content that's out there on the internet, all of that's going to be linked in the show notes below. Uh, thanks again, Nate. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to subscribe to Nate's podcast. Uh, and if you're subscribed to mine, I'd love to hear back from you. Email me at hello at friends.co.com. Constructive criticism is always the best criticism or tell me what kind of guests you'd like to hear from in the future. And with that, folks, tell your friends because next week we'll be back again with another amazing person that I know that just happens to write code for a living. Until then, be well, everyone.